Welcome to the Navigating Disruption Podcast. I'm your host, Shaquille Barmel. I'm the CEO of Ocean Blue Strategic and partner with The Summit Group. I'm a coach, consultant, and speaker, and I help leaders, entrepreneurs, and sales professionals make an impact through improved performance. In this podcast, I share insights and interviews with interesting leaders to define practical lessons that you can use to make an impact in the face of uncertainty. We are proud to be brought to you by The Summit Group. We help companies increase revenue and deepen customer relationships by moving from sales excellence to authentic business relevance through engaging learning experiences. I first met Riaz Meghji on stage in front of thousands of people when he introduced me as a speaker at a fundraising event. Since that day eight years ago, I am grateful to be able to call him a friend. Riaz has spent 17 years as a broadcaster and host of City TV's Breakfast Television, CTV News, and MTV Canada. As I became his friend, I came to realize that his on-camera personality is the same as his off-camera personality. Two years ago, Riaz set aside his successful career to fulfill his calling to help humans develop more meaningful connections at a time when so many forces are trying to divide. He didn't realize at the time of launching his new career how much we would need what he had to share. Join in on this intimate conversation where in Riaz's words, he shares more personal stories than he does in any other interview. Enjoy the conversation. Riaz, how's it going today? Man, it's awesome to be with you, Shaquille. Like We have talked over the years about ideas, about messages, and to have this invitation to be with you today. Uh, Awesome to just dive in into what life is looking like here in 2021. Well, you know, I launched this podcast last August as a bit of an experiment, and I feel like I've hit it because I've got you on my podcast. The guy that's like on TV, I don't have this. You're the first television personality that I've ever had, and so... Thank you for honoring my little Navigating Disruption podcast with this important conversation that is really, really timely right now. That's awesome, man. And I I hope I don't screw it up for you with the pressure of being the first TV personality. Not at all. (laughs) Not at all. Actually, the pressure's on me, and I'll tell you why, is because now I've read your book, right? Mm. And you are clearly, and you'll be humble about it, but you're clearly a master connector, communicator, interviewer. And so I've been reading the book and evaluating myself as I read it as to, do I do this in in my conversations? Do I do this in my interviews with my guests? Do I do this when I'm facilitating workshops virtually? And so I feel like I'm a little bit on the test here. So what I'm going to ask you is that we're going to have this conversation. It'll be real. It'll be authentic. I won't be trying to check boxes, but afterwards, after I stop record, it would be great to just get a couple of thoughts from you about how it went and whether I've learned the lessons in the book <laughs> would be really helpful from your perspective, if you don't mind. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, I'm humbled. I'm humbled. Uh, thank what, you. What, you, what you're getting out of the book. So thank you. Yeah, I know. It's fantastic. Lots of great tips that are real time relevant. Like I read it and then I can apply it like the next day, which is phenomenal. And we'll get into the book and how it all started for you in a bit, but just wanted to just say that out of the gate and get that admiration out of the way for a moment. I can't promise it won't come back, but it might. (laughs) Riaz, I remember the first time I actually met you and I had just taken a new job with the foundation that you have been supporting for years 
as a volunteer. And I, was, I came to town in Vancouver from Ottawa to speak on stage at the event in Vancouver, the World Partnership Walk in Vancouver, which you've been a supporter, a host, MC for many years. I'd never met you, but Riaz, the minute I went on stage and looked in your eyes and saw your face and saw your smile, I feel like we made a connection. And I couldn't tell for sure whether it was um, real or you were that was your stage personality. But then we had conversations off stage and then several others after that. And it was the real deal. You were authentic, warm. And I just thought it was, you made a remarkable uh, impact on me in that first moment. And then fortunately, over the years, we got to work together quite a bit at many of the events that you spoke at. You introduced me many times. And so this is great to now have this conversation about what's going on in your mind, in your heart, uh, in your soul, as you're engaging with people and the tips that you're sharing with us now are really amazing. So, so thank you. Let's start the conversation. Yeah. yeah. You know, as you describe that of our chance to meet, our paths crossed in a place of commonality, mm -hmm. which was the goal of eradicating poverty and increasing education to places in the world that need it with the mm -hmm. Partnership Walk and, and, and the Khan Foundation uh, Canada. And now we're all mm -hmm. in this place in the pandemic, in a place of commonality of just uncertainty mm -hmm. with our physical health, with our mental health. Mm -hmm. Then I think the biggest piece of commonality that propels connection on such deeper levels right now is that the conversations of convenience of, hey, tell me what the kids are doing uh, at, at their soccer practice or at the water cooler. Hey, what'd you do this weekend? What game did you go check? Out? All of that's gone temporarily. Yeah. It's on pause. Mm -hmm. And the one topic that's top of mind is this psychological struggle mm. of not just how are you doing, but checking in and like, how are you taking care of yourself right now? Yeah. And that on a real human level is what's on my mind of how human connection has evolved yeah. over this last year. And I hope this is something, one, I hope we get through this pandemic as, as, as soon and as healthy and as efficiently as we can. But two, I hope we take away the value of this courageous vulnerability and realness yeah. that if we approach each other with that, even post pandemic yeah. of what that can do for our health and well-being, whether that's personally or professionally. Yeah. Well, we go backwards and forwards in time on this podcast. So let's do an unusual step is go way into the future for a moment. At this point, mm -hmm. I usually go into the past first, but let's go into the future and let's imagine a world that you describe where we actually remember these lessons that we're practicing, we're experiencing now into the future. What's the picture in your mind 10 years from now, besides the fact that we're probably much older and maybe needing some help walking or, you know, our <laughs> grandchildren taking us around, what does the world look like for you? This question of what the world looks like fascinates me. And I've heard this come up with leaders across the board. And I kind of, as the interviewer, I flip that question and encourage leaders and I'll encourage you and, and your audience to think of yeah. another question surrounding this one yeah. of how can I establish a meaningful human connection, regardless of what the world looks like, whether mm. that's 2025 or 2030. And that takes one, a heightened level of self-awareness and reflection of the values we represent, and two, clarifying the intent 
the impact and contribution I want to have, whether that's with leaders, whether that's within the community. Mm -hmm. And that takes a lot of reflection and proactive just practice of yeah. the habits of how we're leaning in, how we're listening, how we're putting distractions aside, and how we're ultimately giving people the greatest gift we can give anyone, especially mm -hmm. in a time like this, the gift of undivided attention. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting because we're doing so much of our communication on these platforms, Zoom, Teams, whatever it is. And on one hand, obviously it's a challenge because we're used to interacting and we're designed to socialize and be together. But on the other hand, my goodness, I've connected with way more people in this last even six months than I probably have connected in three or four years of traveling around the country and meeting people. Mm. And so on, on one hand, we're looking at the web and the internet and a lot of dangerous forces out there and mobilizing some terrible things and data breaches and all sorts of hacking that goes on. But on the other hand, there's this huge opportunity. So when you ask that question about what, what can we each do, I'll answer the question for myself, is that using the power of these platforms to engage, to give goodness out there in the world, to enable people to open up and share and be vulnerable and talk and connect. That's kind of what I think is one element, it's just one element, uh, part of it. What's your thought? What's your reaction to that? My biggest point of reflection, I love what you're saying on this mm. about accessibility, uh, about vulnerability, about this new choreography of connection through the camera. All of these are new experiences. And when we look at the most powerful tales we could tell, whether if you're storytelling, whether that's the quest or the story of revenge or the rags to riches, yeah. what we've all lived through is this stranger in a strange land narrative. Yeah. And when we do that, uh, the greatest thing that I'm taking out of this and moving forward is the value of maintaining a beginner's mindset. Mm. And this is something that I was reminded in the writing and research process that in the beginner's mind, there are infinite possibilities, but in the expert's mind, there are few. Mm -hmm. And we've all been beginners through this reset of mm -hmm. how do we do this? This yeah. is a weird video call. There's hundred people in this room. Are you yeah. listening? There's silence. It, it's a complete new choreography. Yeah, this opportunity that you're describing of you've had so many more connections is because you stayed open mm. to the possibility instead of, and I've had leaders saying, give me the shot, put it in my shoulder. I'm tired of doing virtual presentations. Nobody's engaging. It's because we're trying to take traditional ideas and rituals of presenting on a physical stage yeah. and doing the exact same thing virtually. And you can't, Yeah, we have to maintain that beginner's mindset and that's reminded me i mean they're publishing a book i knew nothing about this industry yeah, yeah. but it was teach me i asked so many questions i probably annoyed the team that i work with but yeah. it was i want to understand every nuance of how this works so we can make it as good as it can be yeah and that takes a great deal of humility as a leader to step down and say okay i i don't know what i'm doing but i'm going to learn and yeah. we're going to learn together and we're going to move forward together yeah yeah so Riaz, have you been thinking about writing a book for a long time? Tell me about that uh, narrative. When did the idea first pop in your head that this is something you wanted to do? Can you tell us a bit about that journey? Three days, three days before a TED talk I gave at Simon Fraser University in 2012, a good mm -hmm. friend of mine who was uh, an instructor at Simon Fraser said, hey, I know you're probably gonna tell some great stories in your TED talk, but what's your title? Hmm. 
And I thought about that for a second. I was like, yeah, what's the title? What's the hook? I work in a news cycle. I'm like, you need that headline. Yeah. And it really made me reflect on, and at the time I was a host for Breakfast Television Vancouver, waking up yeah. before 4 a.m. Yeah. to interview people every single day, every single yeah. weekday. And it really made me reflect on why is it that I love this art of the how and why we just connect as human beings and, and the gift when you can unlock someone where and, and extract some piece of wisdom where the audience could absorb it and say, my day's better because I heard that. And it really made me reflect on the value of what could happen if we stay open to the possibility of any given conversation. Mm. And in that talk, the title of that is Every Conversation Counts. Mm. Wow. And then over the years, I got much more intentional with how I would operate on a daily basis, where if there was a powerful interview, I would document that insight or story that leader gave me. Mm. And then I would build a keynote behind it because I wanted to build my speaking career. Mm -hmm. The idea of a book had always been there. Like one of the few things uh, of all the interviews I've done for the book, I've actually never told anybody this, but a good friend of mine is a photographer who grew up in Vancouver. His name's Ryan West. He went after his dream. He's now in LA doing some amazing work, but he took a photo from uh, a headshot photo shoot we did and he made a mock cover <laughs> saying every conversation counts, national bestseller, and he's here. Use this. You know, people use vision boards or what, sure. whatever inspiration you have. Sure. I put that in the cover of a binder I had. Wow. And I'd look at it and I'm like, one day. But imposter syndrome set in, the fear yeah. of failure set in. I was telling you before we started rolling on this when you write a book and publish something and release it to the world, you're naked. Yeah. Like you are, they could see everything. They could see my chicken leg. They could see yeah. all of it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But in that moment, it was, I was caught up in a trap of excuses of, oh, you know, I've got to host this event. I got to do the show. I'll, I'll do it one day. Mm -hmm. But life changed in interesting ways for me where stories, ideas, tips, and strategies, they were all there and documented. Mm -hmm. But before the pandemic hit, our family was hit with the sudden loss of my father. Yeah. And I can say on a personal level for anyone listening to this, if you've lost someone during the pandemic, the amount of grief shock and pain you go through. Ray Dalio said this, that pain plus reflection equals progress. Mm -hmm. And that really resonated with me because I use that to say, well, who goes to say I'm here in 2025 or 2030? If I died next week, am I going to be on my deathbed saying I should have written that book? Yeah. So I think the pandemic accelerated urgency, uh, the loss of a loved one in my father, yeah. who was a pillar for us, just accelerated the urgency to do something I had thought about for years. Yeah. Wow. What an amazing journey. But what stands out for me is the impact of other people in your life on that journey. I love collecting powerful questions. And by the way, your book is great at providing some of those powerful questions. I'm stealing them. I'm sure that's your intent to allow me to Thank steal you. them. Yeah. I'm using okay. them. And those questions, when you get them back from other people, it's a tremendous gift. So that friend of yours, that instructor at SFU that asked you, what is your talk called? Mm. That was a pivotal moment for you because that's when you conceive the whole framework yeah. of the book. Amazing. That's amazing, that moment. That's a great story. And then the other one was obviously the photo cover of another friend that provided you this vision. Just remarkable. And then it again speaks to what you're saying is the importance of connection. It's not just about the individual conversations, but it's about the relationships we maintain in our life. 
and you've been a perfect example of how those relationships uh, matter. Yeah, thanks for sharing that uh, with me. Thanks, Shaquille. You know, it, it's a fascinating point for any of us of why focus on a book on relationships when it's you know been talked about, it, it's been done over the years. Mm -hmm. The realization that relationship is truly the foundation of productive conversation. Mm -hmm. There was a sense of urgency of why this message, why me, why now? Those are the key questions I ask whenever I watch a presenter or I read a book of yeah. saying, why is this a priority for me? Yeah. Like why, why this message? Why you, why now? Those are three valuable questions to ask and relationship in a polarized climate facing a pandemic that reinvented how we connect. I felt it was time to even reinvent the idea of what every conversation counts could be to serve in a completely different way. So mm -hmm. people could feel what loneliness and isolation, they could see it. It can almost be cathartic of, yeah, I'm not alone with these feelings of you know, anxiety and stress and, and perhaps depression, whatever it is you're facing mm -hmm. to unlock it and then discuss it in real ways. Yeah, well, that's what I found really interesting about your book. Like you can't just categorize it into a book on communication. It's a book about isolation, psychology, life experience, communication, connection and self-reflection and the practice of regular self-reflection. And that's why I, I think it should do very well, just because it's all the things we need to be talking about right now. I'm going to pivot a little bit here because I want to go back into your childhood. You're a few years younger than me. We both went to SFU, but we went in different times. And so when I was probably studying at SFU, you were probably running around getting in trouble or you were a child or who knows what you were doing. But if you can take me back to, was there anything that happened in your childhood or adolescence that gave you a hint or a clue that you would be doing what you're doing now at some point in the future? I credit my brother, Zane Megji for yeah. a milestone moment. Hmm. And it's always interesting exploring somebody's childhood and how that shows up and what they end up doing mm -hmm. with their life. And up until grade 10, big introvert, social anxiety, couldn't talk to girls, didn't really have any close friends. And I struggled with just, okay, where do I fit in? Where's my tribe? I loved watching sports, sucked at playing them. Yeah. <laughs> I would try out for teams and they'd be like, we love your enthusiasm. You could be the mascot or the manager. And I'm like, sweet. Okay. I'm a part of something. That's great. But at the end of grade 10, and I grew up in North Delta, British Columbia. Yeah. At the end of grade 10. Uh, and I went to Siakam Secondary, and anyone that I went to school with probably knows that introvert once upon a time. My brother Zane invited me to a, a theater improv showcase at North Delta Senior Secondary School, where him and a theater improv troupe just did this variety show. Yeah. And the sketches they would do on stage and the energy they got back from the crowd, I had goosebumps. I was inspired seeing my own brother on stage electrifying an audience, and I thought, I would love to do something like this. Hmm. And a year later, I asked my parents, can I switch schools? I just wanted to just shake it up, reset, reinvent myself, meet new people, not be handcuffed by my own psychological barriers. And I threw myself out there. And I credit the late, great Colin Vint, who hmm. was an acting teacher at North Delta Senior Secondary School. And anyone that's taken an acting class, the beauty of the exercise is it creates a safe space to experiment. Hmm. And if you've, you know, heard of the improv exercise, instead of saying yes, but saying yes, yes and of course, it's just try it and see what happens. And when you know, you've got a leader or a teacher, like I did with Colin Vint in your corner that wants you to succeed, 
when they call you out for dropping the ball, it doesn't feel like they're against you. It feels like they're with you and they see your potential. They want to bring you up. Amazing. And that was the beautiful part of that experience where there was uh, theater performances. I was hosting stuff in high school and I thought, I love this. Yeah. I feel alive. Yeah. And I credit my brother, one, for the inspiration. And I credit having a great teacher like uh, Colin Vint to see potential, engage with the potential, and then challenge that potential to just try, experiment. And you know what it speaks to you? That idea of that beginner's mindset of, hey, man, if you fail, it's okay. Nobody's judging you. Yeah. Just put it out there and let's see what could happen. Yeah, I love that you drew the connection between your brother and then the teacher. And I think it's so important to pay tribute and pay, pay gratitude to the people in our lives that have influenced us. It, it makes us cherish them more and it makes us more grateful because a lot of people talk about uncovering the, the negative forces in their life, in their past. I think it's equally important to, to uncover and be explicit about the positive forces in your life and pay tribute to that and be grateful for the things that we've gotten from people. So I love that. I remember a specific experience, one of the world partnership walks we were at, your brother was on stage. I think you were tag teaming, you did morning, he did afternoon or something. And I was standing next to you and your brother Zane is hilarious. He is so funny. Wish you could bottle him up and sell him somehow because really funny. I was looking at him and laughing and then I glanced over at your face and the pride and joy on your face. And I expect you've probably been listening to him your entire life. So by now, maybe you'd be bored of his jokes or his sense of humor. But you were laughing as if this is the first time you've heard this performer. Yeah. And I said to you, he's really funny. And he goes, isn't he amazing? <laughs> isn't he incredible? Yeah. And it was just really, really sweet and lovely to hear that pride coming from you. And I've got a relationship with my brother that's similar admire him in many ways, but it's always great to pick up on that energy. Back to connection. When you yeah, can man. feel somebody else's gratitude for other things in their life, it just enriches you. And so giving that opportunity to tell those stories is a really important part, I think, of your book is talk to us about those important moments in your life. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Phenomenal. Well, it's fascinating. And shout out to Adil as well. If Adil's yeah. watching here, brother, brother they love. I don't know if he's listening to my podcast. I haven't figured that out yet, but we'll see. I'm going to DM him when this thing drops and be like, hey, you get a shout awesome. out at this Well, finish. if that's the case, he will listen to it. So here's a story I'm going to tell my brother that's similar to your story about Zane. We were, I must have been five years old. So that would have made him eight years old. We had just come to Canada. We were living in a neighborhood full of, it wasn't cosmopolitan. It was Surrey. You know Surrey. Mm -hmm. And in the 70s, it, Surrey wasn't, is sexy. Surrey it, is sexy. It, it is now, but in those days, it wasn't cosmopolitan at all. Yeah. And he decided that he wanted to make friends. So most people go introduce themselves, go to the playground. This kid, this little boy from Africa, grade two, organizes a talent show in the neighborhood, mm. in our backyard, goes door to door, knocks on doors, asking the kids if they want to perform. And then one day there's this talent show and I'm sitting there in the audience watching him. He's got a place set up for people to change and all this. And he comes out as the opening act and he sings On Top of the World by the Carpenters. And I looked wow. at him and I thought, oh my God, what courage. I was five, but I still remember processing the courage, the audacity, the lack of any inhibition 
And that really set an example for me just to put yourself out there. And so anyway, Ooh. we're talking about brothers now and older brothers and examples. So I thought I'd share that story too. <laughs> you guys got a theme song, man. Every sibling rivalry's <laughs> got a theme song. Actually, you know what? That I, I love that you brought that up because you sent me a great message on publishing day of, hey, mm-hmm. remember, uh, choose, choose a song. that Right. That, that you, oh, you remember that? Yeah. Remember. You're going to remember because when you hear that, it's going to take you back to a unique moment in your life. When you have the chance to publish a book so i love how songs can imprint and for me it was a lovely day but um, oh great song it's such a classic track and it was a track that was played on the final day as well when i left breakfast television in vancouver i just love that that track of what it represents bill withers right bill, bill withers, bill withers song, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah amazing they actually played i don't know if you watched the inauguration uh day but they had debbie lovato perform that song yeah, it, she did a great job, a wonderful job. It was inspirational, but nothing like the Bill Bill Withers version. It's, it's the classic. It's his voice, man. It's a classic yeah. track. So that's a great piece of advice. If there's an amazing moment that's coming yeah. down your pipeline, yeah, choose that track so you can always have that memory. Yeah, I love that. Thanks. Uh, thanks for sharing back uh, that with me because it's a good reminder for me as well. So one of the things we talk about is pivots. Yeah, and you are doing really well as the host of Breakfast Television. You've met some incredible people. I know you have a huge following. What made you decide to get off that track? You could have gone lots of places in that line of work. What made you switch and pivot voluntarily to this path? What was it? I think a huge credit goes to uh, my almost two and a half year old son, Nico. And (laughs) you know how this is when when that first year of being a parent, which is a complete blitz. Yeah. And you've got to wake up at 4 a.m. to do a morning show. But when you say that, you're like, you're not waking up at 4 a.m. You're already up <laughs> throughout <laughs> the entire night. <laughs> BT and Rogers, they had been so amazing to me for 10 plus years. Yeah. I think I, it was really getting to the point where there were ideas that I wanted to go after and create. But I, I realized in, in this certain vehicle that it's easy to make excuses of how the success you want to have isn't happening because of a certain place, but it's not their responsibility. It really is our responsibility Mm -hmm. to get clear on what do you want to do? Mm -hmm. And having Nico really shifted purpose for me where Lori went through serious postpartum Mm -hmm. right after. And it made me reevaluate a lot of things. I was looking at taking a long-term path leave. And then it really got down to what do I want to do in life now? Hmm. And being a father was a big priority. And Shaquille, I, I mean, the timing of it all to leave that type of show to focus on fatherhood in July of 2019, yeah. and then to lose my father suddenly three months later yeah. in October of 2019, when I look back at it all, it simply blows my mind of how things happen in life. Because when you work in broadcasting, you've always just got to be on and give the audience mm-hmm. your energy. They're coming to you as their escape. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm like, there's no way. There's no way I could even have done that show having gone through that type of grief because it destroyed me of what happened in October 2019. Yeah. So, so maybe just serendipity of recognizing. The one question I did ask myself actually was, I'm 41 now and I was turning 40 in 2019. Do I want to wake up at 50 saying, should I have made that change? Should I have taken that chance at 40? And I didn't want to second guess myself because anytime you hit a decade, if you're fortunate enough to hit that decade, it's a real point of reflection. So I think a lot of things were going through my mind, but Nico 
was a big motivating factor for, for change. Amazing. Yeah. Children, they are such a gift in so many ways. There's a great uh, quote that I read. It's a kind of a Buddhist teaching, which is be grateful for everyone around you, especially those that push your buttons, because they're the ones that cause you to really think about yourself, your gaps, your weaknesses, opportunities for you to change. So just the fact yeah. that you're, you're recognizing your son for making a pivot in your life, obviously it's a two-way street because you took the signal and you took the time to reflect, but what a perfect example of the gift that our children give us and continue to give us. And by the way, my kids are now in their adult years, in their 20s and one's 17 and one's uh, 20. That'll keep happening, man. Like your children mm -hmm. will continue to make you think and reflect and shift and pivot. So I wish you all the best with that. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Sure, well, thanks, right. And Nico's pushing all kinds of buttons at two and a half. We're <laughs> learning the joys. Yeah, no, he's a beautiful child. Him. He's a beautiful child. So I love to- uh, Beige I babies, seeing... man. Beige yeah. babies. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to dive in here. I didn't plan to, but how does Lori feel? Because you're naked. You've talked about how you're completely exposed in this book, but you've also told a lot of stories about Lori in the book. How is she feeling yeah. about that? I asked her about it before yeah. I told some of these stories and, yeah. and I'll give an example of one of, Hey, and I did ask her, are you okay with me sharing this? And this was when I had first met her, the thing that happens when you're in the public eyes, as soon as you share something personal, you'll never have a hundred percent approval. There will be trolls that come out and that just comes with the territory. And I get it now. I don't react to it. Yeah. Uh, and we were at a Drake and Miguel concert in Vancouver. Yeah. And she said, why don't we post a photo together? And I immediately thought in my head, I'm trying to protect her. I'm like, you, are you okay with this? Yeah. You know? And she's like, are you trying to hide me? I'm like, I talk about you all the time on the show. I'm not hiding you. <laughs> yeah. But when we posted the photo, there was probably like 99 great comments about, oh my God, you look, look so happy. She's so beautiful. And then there was one troll that just chimed in and said, looks like too much plastic surgery over here. Oh, gosh. And I knew, I knew because she's not used to that type of pushback on why was mm -hmm. she? She's an entertainment mm -hmm. woman. She's not in the public mm -hmm. eye like that, that she would react negatively because it's hard not to take something like that personal. And for the record, she hasn't had any plastic surgery, but somebody's <laughs> attacking her physical yeah. appearance. Yeah. And I don't engage trolls like that. Mm -hmm. You know, some, some people say, hug your haters. If your haters give you something that speak to a blind spot or give you something constructed that you might've missed, I'm like, hey, that is, a, that is an opportunity. Yeah. But if they're coming at you with a personal attack, nothing good will come from it. So yeah. that was a great experience for us to just, I'm like, this is the world I work in and I live in. And when I asked her about sharing that story, she was like, no, that's totally fine. Lori is so transparent and mm -hmm. putting the realness out there. Mm -hmm. uh, she was very supportive, which is mm -hmm. bringing as much realness as possible mm -hmm. to, to the book. Thank you for sharing that story. And yeah, you did talk about in the book, but what you just said reminded me of another story in your book. And I don't want to give away the entire book because I want people to read it. But there was a really interesting story. And I can't remember who the celebrity was. The celebrity who engaged the troll. Do you remember? Oh, Sarah Silverman. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. So can you just tell that story really quickly? Because it was a remarkable lesson in shifting energy from negative to positive. Yeah. And it really speaks to the notion. One of the habits in the book talks about how we lead with assertive empathy. Yeah. And we're, we're so pent up with stress and anxiety. We're so quick to react with vitriol and negativity as a defense mm -hmm. mechanism. And there was a situation on Twitter. I think it was back 2018 
where somebody on, on Twitter called Sarah Silverman a cuss word. I'm not going to repeat on your podcast, yeah. but yeah. instead of reacting with negativity, what Sarah did was she checked out this gentleman's profile yeah. and understood the hate that he was throwing out there, but he actually was suffering from severe back pain. Yeah. So her reply wasn't an attack on him saying, hey, I see your back pain. I used to have this. And then he replies with, yeah, you know, it's been frustrating. And then they have this actually healthy and productive back and forth that yeah. comes from it. And she ends up lifting the troll up. And it's a great lesson for all of us. As I paraphrase it, you can Google it. It's out there. You can see the story yeah. in the book, but that really caught my eye of before we're quick to defend, react, or take someone down. If they've come at us, if we take that moment to check ourselves and acknowledge that other pure person, even though they're coming at us with hate, yeah, we don't know what their motivation is. We don't know what they're going through. It yeah. could really disarm somebody to the point that there are productive outcomes and that yeah. takes a great level of emotional intelligence. Yeah, absolutely. And that story really, really impacted me. It was such an explicit example of how, when we reframe, that's such another powerful thing that I think you talked about in the book is reframing. When you look at it from a different perspective and somebody else's from somebody else's perspective, a whole new yeah. world opens up. It's kind of like that beginner's mindset is a whole new way of looking at things open up. And that is part of human connection is broadening your horizons, open mind. And so thanks for telling me more about that story here. I want to just encourage people. Riaz is here because I've asked him to be here and I have, he has, there's nothing to gain here. This is a great book. And Riaz is a friend, of course, but I read the book and I actually couldn't stop reading it because every single page is full of incredible ideas backed by research, backed by personal experience. You create this holistic wraparound experience around these lessons that make them resonate and are applicable the next day. So just want to encourage all my listeners to take a look. Just even go to Amazon and look at the book cover. The book cover is absolutely beautiful. And I'm not embarrassed to say that it's a good looking book cover. And just look at it and then just hit the extra button to order it. And you won't regret it. It's uh, it's fantastic. So congratulations. Riaz, for well, you know, as you, thank you. And as you talk about the book cover, I struggled with the book cover. And yeah. here's why. Yeah, when you have a message, like every conversation counts. And one of the themes in this book and the mantras I live by is that look at you is greater than look at me. Mm. That to me is a pillar of human connection. Mm. And the notion as an author of putting my face on the cover, I didn't want to do it mm. because I didn't want people to think, oh, it's all about this guy. Mm -hmm. when the focus was really about the audience mm -hmm. and the research that you could put into it. And the publisher reminded me saying, Okay, normally it's authors saying they want their face on the cover and we have to talk them down and not do yeah. it. They're yeah. like, you were the reverse. But they amplified the notion. And this is like on YouTube thumbnails too. What makes you click on a video? You want to see that face. You want to connect with somebody. And they said to me, in this photo, you, you're showing that you're genuinely listening to somebody and the message is right in front of you. And we went back and forth. And this is the value of putting it out to your audience. I actually sampled the cover image and we got maybe a thousand impressions on it that reaffirmed this is connecting with the audience. Yeah. So it, it was a great discussion that came out of what is the most effective visual? Because a lot of books just have powerful yeah. titles, bold color to capture the attention, but yeah. we really came down to 
that human connection to to put a photo on the cover. Yeah, well, I will agree that it was a bold decision. I can imagine how it was a difficult decision for somebody like you, tremendously humble person. I mean, you've tested the audience, so you probably know this, but let me make it really personal. I told you the story at the beginning of the first time I met you on stage at World Partnership Walk and the impression I had of you before we even had a conversation. This took me back there. This took me back to that moment when this person in front of me, and look, I didn't really know you, to be honest, as a celebrity back in 2012. You may have just started on BTV. I didn't wake up early. I didn't watch a lot of breakfast television. So I didn't really know you. It didn't have anything to do with your celebrity at the time. But here was a warm, authentic, genuine person. I could feel your energy. I could feel it. And I get that when I look at the book cover. And when I look at this, I feel like you're looking right at me and making a connection. So I don't know, it's some kind of magic secret potion or something on the book cover, but it's kind of like that Harry Potter books in the movies where you you actually have people that are looking at you and talking to you. It feels a little bit like that. So I think it was a great choice and kudos to your uh, publisher for recommending it. You should feel proud of that. Yeah. Page two, they're an awesome team to work with. Yeah. Uh, In page two, I trust when it comes to important decisions. That's great. You talked about your dad and I've already passed on my condolences in the past, but I know the pain of losing a parent and it doesn't ever leave you. And Mm -hmm. so I know you think of him probably every minute of every day. What are some of the things that he has left you with? One of the greatest things uh, that he's left me with is a conversation that we had five hours before I got married to Lori back in 2015. Mm. And, and dad was a proud entrepreneur. I value what my parents did coming to this country in the 70s, much within the Ismaili community of new beginnings mm. and hustling hard to just create uh, a reality for his children to go after what they wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But dad never really talked about his feelings. And I knew he was a proud man. He, he always believed in my potential. And yeah, five hours before we got married, we had brunch that day. Mm. And he just talked about life and marriage and the ups and downs. And he kept it so real in that moment. And he said something to me, reminding me that life will be full of uh, highs and lows. And those experiences that we experience, those are going to just be temporary. But he said, your potential is permanent. Hmm. And he said, never forget that. And those words always stuck with me because for a dad that always wondered, okay, son, when are you going to stop playing on TV and go get your MBA? Yeah it solidified that the man that took care of his family, that made us proud as his children, had great pride in his own children and his belief in our potential, regardless of what we chose to do. He worked on airplanes and avionics. That was his specialty. And there's so many things I discovered after you know he left us, but he believed in his kids. And in that moment that our experiences are temporary, but our potential is permanent as a lesson I've taken with me, not only from 2015, but it helped me get through the pandemic that ride the wave of the good days, the bad days, but what happens right here, what starts right here with the belief and, and the, the outlet outputting of energy, that wow. is what I control. Wow. Riaz, when was the moment and how old were you, do you think, when you realized how wise and smart and brilliant your dad was? The moment happened before... I even realized what he was doing. And this moment was grade three, grade four. And at that time, they post up percentages of the students in the class. And it was parent-teacher interview 
uh, day. So mom and dad came in and I was third in the class. And I was like cloud nine, man. I was proud. I'm like, can't yeah. wait for dad to see this. He's going to yeah. light up. And he looked at it, just nodded his head. And then he looked at me and he said, that's cool. Now, uh, how come you're not number one? <laughs> and at the time, I'm like, man, what? I was yeah. crushed. Yeah. I'm like, man, number three, podium finish, yeah. dad, come on. Yeah. And I really struggled with that for a long time. Yeah. But when I look back, and even at this moment in 2015 that he believed in the potential, it's because he believed that, hey, what you have to offer the world, you can be top of your category. Mm -hmm. And when I look back at it now, even when I got into television and he was asking all of these critical questions of, okay, is this sustainable? Because back in 2002, there were no smileys on TV. This was completely foreign to him. And I would think, man, why are you getting in the way of what I want to do? Yeah. Instead, he was trying to make sure, are you going to be okay with this? He wanted to make sure his family, his child was going to be okay. And there's all of these moments. And I can say, reflecting back, he was teaching me, but in the moment, I wasn't realizing what he was doing. But now I completely understand it. And it all started with pride and a belief in what his two sons could do. Yeah. And that is an amazing gift as a parent, because now when I look at Nico, I'm armed with that gift that he gave me to, to remind Nico in those moments too. Curtis Joseph, the former NHL goaltender. Yeah. I think he's got seven kids. Before Nico was born in an interview, I said, dude, what's the greatest lesson and greatest yeah. advice you can give me as a dad? Yeah. And he said three words. He's like, let him fail. Hmm. And I'm like, huh? And he's like, yeah, let him fail. And he'll pick himself back up and just play backup goaltender with him. That's awesome. if, if he's really struggling... Just pull him out, take him to the bench. You step in, help him out. But boom, he's your starting goaltender. And I'm like, oh, Cujo, okay. <laughs> and, and this ability now to watch Nico allows me to check myself, not to jump in too much to try and fix everything. It's yeah. work through your emotion, uh, work through that tantrum or whatever, yeah. and, and just let him fail. Like those, yeah. those are words that stick with me too. Yeah. What a gift of the divine to give us a brain that is able to process the past. Because if we were only forward thinkers, think yeah. of how much you would have missed out on in reprocessing events of the past, conversations with your dad, and being able to reflect on them now with your adult mind. So powerful. And now it becomes a gift to the upbringing for your son. What a great recollection. It speaks to a value that I think we can all benefit from. And mm-hmm. one of the habits of the book, Shaquille, uh, Listening Without Distraction, mm-hmm. An idea or strategy I really invite everyone to consider is how can we discover before we dismiss? Mm -hmm. And even if we have more experience for our children, uh, the tendency I could have is, well, no, I've been through this. This is the way it works. It's he's a different, Nico's a different person. So discovering what his priority is, what he's trying to achieve, what his intention is, and not just uh, putting my ideals on him. Yeah. um, that is so valuable for any leader that's trying to motivate their team to understand Absolutely. what people need and prioritize their priorities so you can help motivate them and, and bring them up. Yeah, that seek first to understand habit is all throughout the book uh, really is one of the most powerful lessons. Tons of value in this book. You've been doing a lot of conversations where tables are turned now, right? You are used to being the interviewer. And now you've launched your book and you've been getting a lot of success and a lot of uh, interviews. 
What's it like being on the other side? And is there, so two questions, what's it like being on the other side? And is there a particular moment or particular interview that is really meaningful to you? Well, question number one, what's it like being on the other side? The night of February 8th, which was the day before our launch on the 9th, yeah. uh, I was very nervous. And my publicist in Canada, Amy Dory, who is fantastic, helped us line up. And this is the beauty of, people said to me, how do you launch a book in the mm -hmm. virtual space? Mm -hmm. It's provided such an opportunity for accessibility where we did four national uh, morning shows, uh, morning TV shows on February 9th. And I'm thinking, okay, now I'm on the other side. This is bizarre. Yeah. But the, the thing that I've come to appreciate is that interviewing and asking the questions, that is a skill. Being an efficient interviewee mm. is also a skill mm. where one, you could convey your message and have not only a call to action, but have a call to emotion mm -hmm. within a short period of time, four to five minutes to cover your essential message. Yeah. And it's been surreal doing it and connecting with people that have been friends in the industry, like Devo Brown on BT Canada, Ben Mulrooney on CTV Your Morning, mm -hmm. Jason Pierce and Carrie Adams, CTV Morning Vancouver. All of them have been friends. And now I'm like, wow, I'm on the other side. But to speak to your second question, the one interview that was extra special for our family was when we got the call from the National. And Ian Hannah-Mansing, who does a great format for the National on Sundays, where he doesn't just do the headlines, he opens things up for conversation. And they wanted to do a panel on coping with loneliness. Hmm. And my publicist, Amy, called me and she said, hey, they're interested. Uh, the producer wants to interview you and see if you're the right fit to uh, go alongside a doctor and psychologist they have to speak to uh, the mental health impact of what the pandemic and isolation has done to us. And, you know, we went through the motions and as you know, from this book, it's really focused not only on the problem of isolation and loneliness, but solutions on how to break through it. And that's what I could bring to the convo. And when we did it, and when I watched it, it was an emotional moment because dad's favorite show was the national. And even when I was Amazing. a kid growing up, man, I loved wrestling. I'm like, dad, can we like turn the national off? I want to see the Hart Foundation and Bret Hart put somebody in a sharpshooter. Like, come on, let's go, let's go. He's like, no, you need to watch the news. Yeah, amazing. And to have this kind of full circle moment and Zane and mom watched at home, like it was very special because I never expected that this book, this message would land on the national. Right. But this is the thing. You, you put something out to the world that you feel can serve, can help, and you get behind this message. Anything can happen. And on that day, on a Sunday night, late February, the National picked it up and I have a feeling dad from up above was just tuning in in a different way. Congratulations for that moment. Thank you know, you. I'll tell you, I am so personally very proud of you. And I look to you with so much admiration and gratitude, not just for these types of conversations, but just being able to take the time to dive in a little bit into your life, your experience, the way you look at the world. The, the wisdom, it just really does illustrate that wisdom is everywhere in the world. If you just take the time to let people in, to allow them to share and to be interested. I really, I'm not just making this up because you're here. I really think your book's got to be required reading for high school students. Mm. If we could get every high school student to read this book in particularly now when everybody's learning online, I think the ripple effect of that is going to be incredible. So 
hopefully that can fit into your publicist plans to get to the school boards. I think that would be a really interesting, or at least an experiment. Maybe one school board, a couple of them would be really cool to see if that would be something that would make a difference. Follow those kids yeah. along in their life to see what happens then. I'm writing this down, man. School, <laughs> high school, high school, school boards to share the message. It's a great idea. I love yeah. it. Everybody will receive a message differently. Yeah. And the one thing that I think I've learned and, and it speaks to the idea of being the interviewee, if anybody listening is going to be a podcast interviewee is to never sacrifice authenticity for approval and to just come with pure intention to serve your message. You never know how it's fully received, but with the intention of knowing at a young age, we could share these values of uh, empathy, connection, curiosity, and how that could benefit people with the relationships they build. It's such a pivotal time in your late teens and early 20s. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, the seed's been planted. I'm going to explore that. That's, uh, awesome. that's a great idea. So thank awesome. you. Awesome. Your last 30 second to 60 second tip to leaders today. Last tip I have, and it's the overall message and, and purpose of this book is on a daily basis, in any given conversation, ask yourself, how can you be intentional with this connection, mm -hmm. whether it's virtual, whether it's in person and break out of autopilot mode, That's because we, we can easily become consumed by our assumptions of how somebody's going to react, what excuse they're going to make up. But as soon as we do that, we close ourselves off to the possibilities. So be intentional, stay open, and look at the potential of how a conversation could change not only your life, but really somebody else's at any point in time. Wow, what a great place to end this conversation, Riaz. Thank you for taking the time. I wish you continued success, and I look forward to continued uh friendship all the very best man i love you brother thank you shaquille for your support all over the years man and, and inviting me into your space to do this this is awesome and good luck with the podcast too thank you doing great things with it thank you very much that was such an authentic and engaging conversation i'm really grateful that riaz joined me here's a few takeaways first riaz asked us a question he said what are we going to do in the future to ensure that all the things we learned about connecting with each other during the pandemic are continued? What are we going to do to make sure that whatever it is that we've developed, whether it be our ability to engage online, our ability to care for each other, how are we going to play a role in making that continue into the future? What Riaz offered was the idea of keeping a beginner's mindset. The idea that you want to stay curious, you want to stay open, you want to stay interested to the possibilities when you enter engagement, a conversation, a relationship with somebody. By being open is when you discover new things about yourself and new things about the other, and you create a deeper relationship. One of the things I really enjoyed in the conversation was how Riaz gave so much credit to the people and experiences in his life. Almost every success that he's had, he can credit an individual person, a conversation, a moment. And I thought that was really, really powerful and a really powerful example for all of us. And it validates my whole view that our power of memory and reflection, being able to look back at the events, experiences, people in our lives, and think about how those experiences have impacted us is really one of the truest and best gifts of the way our brains work. And if we can do that on a regular basis, take lessons from our past, the people that we've known, 
we will continue to develop, improve, and grow. And I want to encourage you to go to Amazon and check out his book, Every Conversation Counts, order a copy, and read it. You will not regret it. Now, I'm going to end this episode a little different than most. Instead of the normal song I play out from Late Night Conversations, today I'm going to offer a song in tribute to Riaz. Have a lovely day. When I wake up in the morning, love And the sunlight hurts my eyes And something without warning, love Bears heavy on my mind Then I look at you And the world's all right with me Just one look at you And I know it's gonna be A lovely And I know it's gonna be